Lord, that's the prayer of each one of us here this morning. Master, speak to me. By your Holy Spirit, Lord, do it, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. Yesterday marked the 25th anniversary of the Hillsborough disaster when 96 Liverpool fans were crushed to death before an FA Cup semi-final between Liverpool and Nottingham Forest. In every league match yesterday, the kickoff time was not three o'clock as it normally is, but at seven minutes past three, the time that that game was abandoned. Every player yesterday wore a black armband, and in every game there was a minute's silence before the game started. Now, I don't know what happened to other matches. I was in Synod here all day yesterday, but Synod finished, and I was able to pick up some football commentary uh, afterwards in my study. And I heard the start of this year's FA Cup semi-final between Arsenal and Wigan. And when the minute silence was announced, instead of a minute silence, it was filled with clapping. And clapping has become the new way, if you like, to show special respect. Although I wonder if it's partly to cover up the noise sometimes made by disrespectful idiots during what's meant to be a minute's silence. And in my view... A minute of clapping does not carry half the impact that a minute of silence does. I speculate as to whether this move towards clapping rather than silence in fact marks the age that we live in. For we are a people far happier with noise than we are with silence. If you think about it, when we go to the supermarket or we go out for a restaurant meal, there's so often noise in the background, piped music. If you watch people jogging, those jogging very often have earphones in and linked to their iPlayer or their MP3 or their radio. On a sunny day, when the windows are wound down on the cars, the music blares out. And even when you sit on the underground or a London bus, there's almost inevitably somebody who has their headphones on so loud that you can hear the thud, thud, thud as you sit there. And you wonder how long it is before the person with headphones will go deaf. And perhaps rather unkindly, you wish it sooner rather than later. The shouting on the entry into Jerusalem on the day that we now celebrate as Palm Sunday, would have been deafening, I'm sure. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna to the son of David. And of course, it's always easier to shout when everybody else is shouting. Just as it's easier for us to sing and to pray when we're all gathered here together for worship on a Sunday morning. For Jesus, I don't believe that the most testing time he faced at this season of the year was when he rode into Jerusalem on that tide of adulation. 
I don't believe it was when he turned over the tables of the money lenders in the temple just a few hours later. I don't believe it was at that last supper when he watched Judas slip out into the night to betray him. No, I'm sure the most testing time for Jesus was when he was alone in the Garden of Gethsemane. We're told that then his sweat dripped down like drops of blood upon the ground. He pleaded with his father to take this cup of suffering from him. And we hear his words as he realized that his desperate prayer was not to be answered. Yet not my will, but yours be done. It was in the solitude that Jesus entered into his deepest encounter with his Father God. And for us, the great service with wonderful hymns is inspiring and thrilling. But the deepest work is not as we feed off one another's faith. The deepest work is done as we ourselves kneel on our own, face to face with God, and plead our cause, and seek his way. And sometimes the deepest work is done as we rise through our knees and know that the way ahead's going to be hard, and say those same words, Net, not my will but yours be done. And this personal and quiet intimacy with God is what the Bible passage that we heard read to us earlier is all about. John chapter 15 and verses 1 to 8, the passage about us all remaining in the vine. Well, I don't have a vine, but I do have an apple tree. And if you'd have seen this apple tree just three weeks ago, you would have seen it dominating our garden. Branches everywhere, shoots reaching up to the sky, creating a tree which looks as if it had got an enormous crew cut on top of it. Then two men came for the day to prune it. And now we have a pile of logs in the garage and a tree which looks like a work of modern art just a trunk and a few stark branches. This year, we will not get one apple. But next year, we're assured that there will be new shoots and plenty of blossom and fruit to follow. And the reason for that is that there is life in the tree. It may not look as if there is life there at present, but it has within it that potential to burst out into new life to fulfill its purpose in creating apples. The wood in the garage will be good only for the fire, but the tree itself will bear much fruit. If you and I are not linked to God, linked to God through prayer, we will become as the dead wood in the garage. We just cannot sustain our Christian life by only coming here to church week by week. 
by only trying to do good works, by only trying to lead good and upright Christian lives. We need to be in touch with God day by day. We need to be, as John puts it here, remaining in the vine. Because if we don't remain in the vine, we will never bear spiritual fruit. We will never become that person who has a depth and a stillness in our life because we walk with God day by day by day. In this Lent series of sermons and study groups, we've explored why we need to make sure that we're not too busy to pray. And the author of our study guide, Bill Hybels, draws our attention here to a 17th century mystic called Brother Lawrence. Now, Brother Lawrence was not a hermit, not some great sage in a monastery, not some great scholar at his desk, not even ordained as a priest because it was considered he hadn't got enough learning. No, Brother Lawrence was a cook, but a rather different style of cook to the loudmouth and foul-mouthed superstar Gordon Ramsay and his contemporaries. Brother Lawrence lived out his faith in the kitchen. He rejoiced in what God had called him to do. And after he died, a colleague drew together his words and letters and created one of the great spiritual classics of all time, The Practice of the Presence of God a book that John Wesley read and recommended to his followers. But Brother Lawrence didn't find it easy focusing his whole life on being upon God. But he said, I began to live as if there was no one save God and me in the world. And although it was hard, he said, I persisted through all the difficulties. I persisted through all the difficulties. Now, we live in a different time and a different culture and a different context, but the root lesson of this great saint remains. We need to aim to reach a state where we walk so closely with God that even the most mundane thing we do, the most mundane encounter we have, can be offered to God. But to reach that state, we will have to work hard to create quiet space. Space where we can listen to what God might want us to do. To what God might want to say to us. Bill Hybels writes in our Lent book as to how when we make space for God, when we get more attuned to listening, we may begin to receive promptings as to what God might have us do. And we might then be challenged with the risk of following those promptings so that God can work a greater way, in a greater way, in our lives. I wonder if you sometimes had a sort of strange feeling that you ought to do something, or you ought to phone somebody up, or you ought to call on somebody. And there doesn't seem to be any logic in this, and you perhaps dismiss it as an odd fancy that's come to your mind. But then that inner feeling persists 
And you have to decide as to what you're going to do in response to it. When that happens, we're to pray and seek if this really is from God. For example, if you have a prompting that you're led to speak to that beautiful woman or that handsome man who you see across the room, it might well be that that prompting comes not from God, but from somewhere else. But if the prompting we feel from God is a simple and immediate thing, perhaps we just need to say a prayer for guidance and go ahead and risk it, respond to it, try it. Phone somebody up and say, you, you just came into my mind. I'm just phoning up to say, how are you? How's it going? And if they say, well, fancy you calling. I've just got this real problem. You'll know that was of God. And if they say, I'm fine. What on earth are you calling up for? Well, you've been obedient to the prompting. But if the prompting concerns some quite serious step forward, some major change to your life, then Bill Hybels suggests some reflection. He says, you can tell if the prompting is from God, if it's consistent with Scripture, if it's consistent with your innate gifts, and if it leads you into servanthood rather than into self-glorification. He also says that we should always question what we feel might be God's prompting. Especially, this is so, if it might lead to a life-changing decision made in a very short period of time. Or if it might lead another person into debt or danger. Or if it might jeopardize your close family relationships or personal friendships or if it provokes unease in a mature Christian with whom you share the idea. These are the checks and balances, the negatives, if you like. But the great positive here is that if we make the space to listen to God, then do you know God might well speak to us? God might speak to me, God might speak to you. Because the God of relationship who we worship doesn't always want to hear us prattling on, asking, asking, asking. Our living and loving God also wants to speak into our lives. And when he does speak into our lives, it's always for the good, always for the positive, always for our blessing. So listen to those God-given promptings and then act on them. It may seem risky. It may seem illogical. It may seem daunting. But give it a go and see where God leaves you. Next Sunday will be Easter Sunday. And we'll have moved on from this our Lent theme of the past six Sundays. But please remember what we've learned in this six weeks And try to make sure that you're not too busy to pray. Do all you can to carve out a quiet space, a sacred space each day. For when you do carve out that space, your relationship with God will grow so much faster, will reach so much deeper, and will become a two-way process 
as God listens to you, but also you listen to God. And in that listening to God, there is always blessing.